historian, see if that could be guys. Um, if you guys join me in standing, let's worship together. I'm going to start us off with some prayer and then we'll get started. Jesus, we thank you for another day to worship you. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be together in community. Lord, we thank you for just what an honor it is to be able to worship you, to be able to call you not only our father, but our friend. Lord, we thank you that you are so incredibly good to us, that you are so incredibly kind, and that you forgive us of all of our sins, Lord, and that you sent your one and only son to die for us on the cross so that we wouldn't have to carry the weight of our sins. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you that today is a new day, Lord, and that your mercies are new every morning. And Lord, I pray that this morning, if anyone does not know you in this room, that they would come to know you, God, that they would experience the love that only you can provide. Lord, I thank you for who you are, and I just pray that you would bless this time of worship. It's in your precious and holy name, Lord. Amen. Worthy of all things. 
that kind of flows naturally. Um, it's like a real, a real genuine doxology just pours out of your heart because you're in so much thankfulness and so much praise. You know, it's like, oh, God, be the glory for everything. I say it's like an overwhelming awe. The awesomeness of God just overwhelms you, and this doxology just pours out. All that means is it's a word of praise. And you notice Paul, and it normally comes usually at the end of the biblical letters. Uh, Jude wrote one. There's quite a few of them there. Um, have you ever witnessed to somebody? Let me give you this example. Have you ever went out and witnessed to somebody, and you thought you were just going to fumble through it, and you're like, you know, I'm witnessing. And then when you leave, you're in your car, and you're driving back, and you're just like in awe. You're like, how? I can't, where did this come from? Where did these things I said come from? And you're just overwhelmed with the awesomeness of God, and you're like, I can't believe God used me like that. That's a doxology. That's sin, giving praise to God. And that's where our that's where these doxologies come from. Remember, Paul's been writing Romans, and he's been telling us how awesome and how great our God is, and, and he's just overwhelmed. So I'm going to read it again. It starts at verse 25. It says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. But has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings have been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. One thing you notice about this doxology is it's very Paul. What I mean by that is, Paul is like the, he's like the king of run-on sentences. That's all one sentence. There's no punctuation in it. Nothing. He just wrote one long sentence. So he's like the king of run-ons. And matter of fact, there's people that study his writings and it literally drives them crazy because his punctuation, Paul is a phenomenal educated man, but he got so overwhelmed with God, it's like he couldn't get it all out. So he just kept going and going and going. So he begins his doxology in a way that I think you would expect all doxologies to begin. His first three words, he says are, now to him. Now to him. See, and this tells you the direction that his doxology is going. It's definitely not going this way. Everything in his doxology is, is completely, completely vertical. And he's, honestly, that should, be the, that should be the direction of all our praise, right? It should always be vertical. But sometimes I think we, we like to praise, we like to give praise sometimes because of something that we've already received. You know, we're always giving praise for stuff that we receive, but Paul here is just giving praise because he's overwhelmed with the awesomeness of God. Now, what are we praising when we praise? When we're vertically praising, what are we praising? You ever ask yourself that? Are we praising because it's something we got? Or are we praising because we are overcome with the sovereignty of the God that we, that we serve? Amen. Now, but I'll say now, usually when we praise God for something, there's always a benefit in it, right? When we praise God for something, there's all, in fact, when we praise him for, there, there's a benefit to us, and it's no different here with Paul. It's no different. When Paul begins to write this doxology, and he praises, and he says, he says, to God who is able, he says, the one who is able to strengthen you. That's the benefit for Paul. By praising God and, and just being basking in his awesomeness, it says he's able to strengthen you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ. 
Isn't that great? To him who is able. The other night on Sunday, we talked a little bit differently. We talked about a couple other verses. But to him who is able to strengthen you. We're going to have some questions out of this. It starts off with praise, right? But we understand that in all of this wonder that we're praising God for, all of it, all this awesomeness, it's also a blessing to you and I. Because through that and through the gospel, it strengthens us. You ever ask yourself, what does it strengthen me in? We pray for God's strength all the time, right? And we hear all the time, God will strengthen you through this. No matter what you're going through, God's going to strengthen you through this. But have you ever asked yourself, what? But I want to talk about Paul. He says, this is my gospel. Now, he doesn't call it his gospel because he, you know, it's, he wrote it or he made it up. He calls it, here's why Paul calls it his gospel. Because Paul takes the gospel personally. It's his gospel. And that's what he means by that. Because he was the apostle to the Gentiles in the same way that Peter was the apostle to the Jews. The gospel of Jesus Christ was personal. It was his gospel. And that's how he preached it, as his gospel. Paul considered this a very important thing that he had in his life. Matter of fact, it was the most important thing that he had in his life. He said that many times. So he says, according to my gospel and the revelation that God has brought about, through the gospel. He is able to strengthen you. Or in other words, he's able to make you stand. Your Bible may say establish. Some of your Bibles may say establish you. All the same Greek word in the meaning. The word is sterizo. And it literally means to be solid, to be stable, to be standing, to be coming. So he says that it by praising God, we are strengthened to stand. How many of us today need that? How many need stabilizing in your life today? You know, as I was writing this, I was thinking about it. As we go through this year, or as we've been through this year, none of us knew what was going on this year. None of us knew what was going to happen, right? And we don't even know what the rest of this year will hold for us. But what we, what we don't know that's going to happen in our lives so we need God's strength. We need to be stabilized. And I love that because Paul's whole book of Romans was about our Christian walk. It was encouraging us on how to walk a Christian life because God did not want us walking this defeated Christian life. You know, we should be walking solid no matter, we should be praising him in the storm and praising him when the sun's out. But unfortunately, sometimes in life, our life overtakes us and when we're in that storm, I don't think we can hear him anymore. I love that song. That's why I use the reference. So we need God's strength. We need to be strengthened. And I love the fact that Paul here begins to praise the one who is able to strengthen. And now he says he strengthens you. He says according to the gospel. Now understand, when he says the gospel here, he's not just talking about the message of salvation. That's not what he's just talking. He didn't limit it to just that. When he says the gospel here, Paul is referring to every single thing he has told us in the book of Romans. Everything. Everything. It encompasses all the doctrine. It encompasses all of the beauty that he's written to us that's inside this book. That's the gospel. I mean, that's the good news. Everything we've learned in the book of Romans is the gospel. It's funny. Paul took 
the gospel that we call the good news, and he laid it out for us so we have no excuse, right? How many of us have said, well, man, you run into the, well, I think that's in the Bible. I believe that. Somebody told me that. Yeah, that's in the Bible, definitely. We're going to talk about that because I think to be strengthened in the, to be strengthened by Scripture, we have to know Scripture, right? We have to know it. And today, I'll say this, there's no excuse for us not knowing Scripture. No excuse. I can sit on my couch, pick up my telephone, and say, hey, Google, <laughs> and lay out a verse, or a part of a verse, or something I think's a verse, and there it is in front of me. Amen. So there's no excuse for us not knowing the gospel. The question is, do you spend time reading the gospel? So, the question is, strengthened against what? That's basically what we're going to go back to. What? Strengthened against what? God is able to strengthen us. Against what? That's a good way to put it. The world, yeah. Um, I want to bring up two things that I'm going to talk about here. What does it strengthen us against? And here's why I mentioned about what we should know Scripture. The first thing that it's the gospel, the Scripture, strengthen us against is errors in doctrinal teaching. Yes. It's Paul's day. There was a lot of bad teaching. We think today, we're like, oh man, there's bad teaching everywhere. In Paul's day, there was a, there was a lot of it. Remember, they were running around all the time. They'd follow him. As soon as he would leave, they would go in there and be like, no, that's not how it is. Let me show you. So, they were always introducing things into the church that I want to call, that were the philosophies of men. Right? That's what they were doing. So first, that was over 2,000 years ago. But we still have exactly the same problem today. Exactly the same. And we'll grow these doctrines and these ideas and these thoughts that are not founded in the Word of God. So how can you be strengthened if you don't know the Scriptures? And if you're taken by every wind that blows through. It's like a wave and a wind. And it just, it catches, believe it or not, it catches up people. And then it blows them away. Literally, Paul even referred to that. And just like there was stuff in Paul's day, there's stuff in our day. I mean, I could sit here today and spend the next two and a half hours talking about everything that's wrong in doctrine out there. And I could bring out things. But I ain't going to do I'm not going to do that. That's... Most of you are aware of it. Most of you are. Most of you are rather aware of some of the stuff that's not biblical. But it's not as important to be as it's not as important to be aware of it. It's more important to know the truth. It's 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 yes, we need to be aware of false doctrine, but it's not as important as to be aware of what's floating around as it is to be to know the truth. Because you can be aware of it, and then you can still fall to it if you don't know the truth. This is what Paul's referring to when he says, strengthen us. By my gospel. By the gospel. Hmm. That's why sometimes when someone, some new wind or teaching blows through, and we see it a lot, that that's why some people are blown away, and that's why some people stand firm. Because they know the scriptures. They're strengthened by the scriptures. You know what? Sometimes and many times it's pretty subtle. 
the way they get it in there, right? Very sneaky. I got one for you. I'm going to give you the biggest misconception in the body of Christ. Biggest one. And I know we've all heard it. We've all said it. God will never give you more than you can handle. How many heard that? I'm going to ask you this right now. How many think it's in the Bible? God will, if, if God will never give us more than we can handle, then, ah, that's a good one. Also, Paul had said something one time that, you remember the time when Paul was on a ship and they were having all these hard times? You know, he, you know, shipwrecked and all those stories. Paul said during that time that they literally thought they were going to die. So, if, if God doesn't give us more than we can handle, why is Paul crying out that he's, they're going to die? That's more than they can handle. It's not in the Bible. It's twisted. What is in the Bible? What is in the Bible, you'll find it in 1 Corinthians. It says that God will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you can be. There's a big difference in tempting and God not giving you something more than you can handle. Because if that's the case, how come we have death? How come we have disease? How come we have sickness? I guess we can handle it, right? Bible says God will never give us more than that. So I guess we all need to toughen up, right? It doesn't say God won't give you more trials than you can handle. But that's just one of those subtle little twists they like to put in there. Why do they do that? It's a feel-good message, right? If I make you believe God, if you feel good. But here's what happens with that twist. When you face something that you can't handle, you become mad at God. Because you're not supposed to give me more than I can handle, right? You, you promised you wouldn't give me more. No, he didn't promise that he wouldn't give us more than he can handle. It causes people to become very discouraged. When they suddenly find themselves in a situation... That is beyond what I can handle. And I know they're thinking, and we all know it, we've thought it. Wait a minute, doesn't, uh, doesn't God say that I, he won't give me more than I can handle? No. But they don't know that. They don't. They feel like, they feel like God hasn't been faithful to them. When you're in a situation and you've been told that God will never give you more than you can handle and suddenly you're facing something that you can't handle, you feel as though God is not faithful anymore. Boy, doesn't the enemy want us to live in that train of thought? True. Well, I thought God would, you know, I thought God would never give me more than I could handle. He never said that. He never said that. He said the complete opposite of that. That's what people don't get. Matter of fact, if you go, you don't got to turn over, but if you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 again, that's what I was talking about. And Paul very clearly says that the trials that he suffered in his missionary journey were far beyond the ability for him to even endure. Far beyond his ability to endure it. And Paul's an apostle, right? I guess he better toughen up because God will never give him more than he can handle. Better get some thicker skin. 
That's just a fancy way of saying, you know, when he says, I, was, I felt like I was deprived of life. That was a fancy way of him saying that he thought he was going to die. But then he went on to say that this happened so we might not rely on ourselves, right? But on the God who raises the dead. Paul said, I, was, I, was, I could not endure it anymore. But then he says in the next verse, why? Why did this happen? Because I, so I would no longer rely on me and I would rely on the God that gives life. Hmm. That's why God allows things in our life. And I, I like to use that word allow and some people would cringe when I use that word. But that's why God allows things in our lives. But when we get broadsided by things like that in our life, when we get, because we're all wrapped up in bad teaching, think about this, how do we respond to it then? We're all wrapped up in some misquoted, twisted version of whatever's supposed to be scripture, and we face something that we can't endure anymore. So that's what Paul is talking about when he says, my gospel will strengthen you. Knowing the word of God is what makes you strong. Amen. Knowing the word is what makes you strong. And you know, I'll say this. I, I expect uh, children in Christ, and I don't mean age-wise, I mean new believers. I expect children in Christ to, to have those kind of questions and have those, you know, what does it say in Scripture? What does it say about this? What does it say about that? They're immature in the Lord, and I, ex I expect that. And that's how they learn. Expect them to come to me. But what I don't expect is a mature Christian who has been walking with the Lord for years to not know where something is in Scripture. And we can say, well, it's because I'm not, I'm not talking about teaching or understanding because the Bible speaks to every single person in its own way. But if you come to me and say, Hey, I ran into this about this, but I have no idea in Scripture where it's at. I'm, I'm just going to tell you to find it. Because to be strengthened by it, you have to know it. It's, I, I, it's time to grow up as Christians. Right? It's time to grow up. We're not babies anymore. We're done with the milk. And yes, we need some every now and then because we do get thirsty for some milk. But we, we need to be feeding on meat. We need to strengthen ourselves. You know what? If there was ever a time in the world that we had more access to the Bible, no generation has had it like we have it right now. I mean, we have the ability to digitally search out scriptures in an instant. Even if you don't know the scripture, you can say, I think there's a word in scripture that says this. Bam! You've got 40 scriptures on it. How many, how many of you here have a strong concordance? Wow. You, you know what I'm talking about? You that big, huge books like this thick. You know, you carry it around, you need like a wheelbarrow to bring it with you. I love the concordance. How many use the strong concordance? Outstanding. It is phenomenal. But today, a lot of people don't use it because, you know, we have the phone, we have the tablet or the internet. But there's nothing like taking yourself and burying yourself inside of a strong concordance and searching the scriptures on your own. It's, it's amazing. So we have no, today we have no excuse not to be digging in the scriptures. And I hear it all, I, don't have, I didn't have time to read the Bible this week. 
You have it on your phone. It sends you a notification every morning that says, hey, guess what? Today we're reading this. How many of you have your, your, your version or whatever that is on your phone of the Bible that pops up every day and gives you a reminder of whatever scripture of the day is? But yet we'll look at it on our phone and be like, oh, that's cool. We'll put it away. Or we'll post it on Facebook. That's scripture of the day. But did we read it? Did we study it? Did we apply it? No. No. Do you remember what Paul said to the leaders, the, the, the role that leaders have in the churches? This is in Ephesians, and I'll read it to you, because this is, this. Hmm. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statute of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. It is time to grow up as the body of Christ. It is time today that we stand strong in the word. Why? So the winds of all these doctrines don't blow you away. Because it may, that wind feels good when it first blows on you, but you know what? When you've got to stand and put that, what they're saying to the test, and you start blaming God for not being faithful because of something somebody told you, when you should know the scriptures. I hear, you know, I hear all oh, I have a new revelation. And I'm not saying God, but you say, I, God speaks to us yet, okay? He speaks to every single one of us. Sometimes we just don't listen. But when they come around, I've got this new revelation from God, this new great teaching. You should be able to listen and apply it and say, you know what? That's not in the Word. How are you going to do that? By knowing the Scriptures. There are people today in the body of Christ who have given themselves permission to believe things that aren't even in the Scripture. They have. We, I, I've done it. We've all done it. We've all given ourselves permission to believe something that's not in here. But they might not say it. They might not verbalize it. But you can tell what they believe by how they react. You know what I mean? And you can tell if, if it doesn't say it in the Bible or not, they will believe it. And they will have given themselves permission to believe it. They'll justify believing it. We have to be people of the word. That's what Paul's talking The whole entire book of Romans, the point of that book was to build us up in the gospel, in who we are in Christ. Now Paul's telling us at the end, to him who is able to make you stand because of the gospel. In other words, know the gospel. Know the scriptures. Because how many of you, I have seen people face some of the most darkest, hardest times of their life. And you would never know it. Never know it. Because they face those times fully standing on what the word says. Loved ones, I challenge you to go through the Bible every day. Every day. 
And you have so much access today to reading plans. I mean, you can come to me, I'll give you one. But if you don't need to, Google will give you 40. There are so many reading plans out there that you can, my favorite is I like doing some of the New Testament, some of the Old Testament, some of the Old Testament, and then some of the Psalms. That's just me. And if you do that, you can get through the Bible in a year. We need to be constantly in the Word. We need to know the Scriptures so we can see the danger of the doctrinal errors. Because I, the reason I'm, I'm so honest and I agree with Paul is because these errors that we allow ourselves to believe destroy us when we're in the face of trials. We've all faced trials, right? You know what? Pain and suffering, and it's touched every one of us. What's another danger about this doctrine stuff? Living, right? Waking up in the morning. This is a perilous world we live in. And so many difficulties, so many sorrows, so many challenges. They're just literally waiting to smack you in the face the minute you open your eyes. How many people do you know, you, you, first thing in the morning, you see them, they're, how you doing? Now, I'm not talking about those who aren't a morning person. But, you know, you see them every time you run into this person. How are you doing? Well, you know, could have been better. We can be absolutely blown away by the things that we face in this world. Absolutely blown away by them. Or, or we can strengthen and establish our faith in the scriptures so we are not tossed to and fro. I think it would be a good question to ask. What exactly does the word of God or the gospel offer to believers and for those who are facing challenges in life? What does it offer to believers? Strength, hope. Let's look at it. Let's look at this. Because there are things that we as believers, there are things that we have that your neighbor who's an unbeliever doesn't have. Right. And that makes us different. It does. And you know, if, and if you're established in these things, you'll be strong in your faith. I'm going to give you a list of them. Here's the first one. We have the insight as to why we suffer. We do. We have the inside scoop as to why we suffer. We, you can read through the scriptures, starting in Genesis, and you can get to chapter 3, and then, you know, the old Satan comes into play, and sin comes into the world, and man, we fall, and the world is fallen and broken. So we have some pretty good insight as to why we suffer. We know that we live in a fallen world, right? You know what? Your neighbor doesn't know that. He doesn't have that insight. Why? And that's why... When there's so much pain and so much sorrow in their lives, they, they become hopeless and they don't understand why I'm going through this. And then they'll, they'll blame a God they don't believe. But see, we have the insight. Paul's saying we understand why. And that strengthens us. If God is real, I hear this all the time. If God is real, why is there so much hurt? Why is there so much sorrow? Why is there so much pain? Why is there so much loss? We lose people that we love. We do. Why does it have to happen? Why? 
If, there's, if this God that you say you believe in loves you, why does this have to happen? I hear it all the time. See, loved ones, they don't have the understanding that we do. We understand why these things come about. But that neighbor who doesn't believe that has no faith doesn't know that. They don't know that. You, you guys understand that God never intended this earth be in pain and suffering. Never intended. It was not... God... He never wanted death on this planet. But yet, we have become so insensitized to death that it's like, oh yeah, you know, you died. Look, this guy died. This, we become so... Ins it's like a, it's a common, normal thing. And we lose the fact that God never intended that to be. Some young guys, some old, we're like, yeah, it happens all the time. And we lose sight of the truth that it was never. Death was never intended to be part of God's perfectly created order. Never. Matter of fact, it tells us in that. But you know what's great? One day God's going to defeat death permanently. He's already broken his chains. But Isaiah said that death was an enemy. That's what the Bible calls death. They call it, calls it an enemy. Isaiah said that one day the last enemy, death, will be destroyed. He's going to be, he's going to destroy the destroyer of man. You know, and you, you, here's the thing. You know that. We know that as Christians, but your neighbor doesn't know that. Why do marriages fail? You ever thought of that? Why do, why do people, why do we have such a hard time getting along? Why do people become fiends, drug addicts? Why do they become addicted to porn? Why do they love money more than they love people? It begins there. See, we understand that we live in a sin-soaked world, right? It's broken. It doesn't work right. It's like a connect set that's missing some bolts. It doesn't function. But we know why. Because sin entered this world and it entered into God's perfect order. But we also know, here's where we get our hope that our neighbor doesn't know. See, we also know that God has a plan to redeem the broken earth. Right? And we know that. As Christians, we know that. Your neighbor doesn't know that. We know that because we, God sent his son. We know that. And we know that he sent his son to pay a price that we couldn't pay. We know that. And we know that forgiveness comes. And knowing that, the reason I keep going on that, and having that knowledge strengthens you. Right? It strengthens you. Here's something else. We have the understanding that God's love prevails. We know that. He will not abandon us. He will not forsake us. He will not leave us. We know that. But your unbelieving neighbor doesn't know that. And they have no comfort in their life. That's why we have comfort. Because we know that. We are established in our faith 
because we know it says that in the scriptures. That's what Paul's referring to when he says, him who is able to strengthen you. We, have you ever seen that, and I talk about the roller coaster Christian, but have you ever seen that Christian that they're, they're here, they're here, they're here, they're here, they're here, they're here. God never intended for us to walk that way as Christians. Now, I'm not saying we can't be, we, pain and suffering will touch every person in this room at one point in your life. The question is, are you standing in the scriptures on the promises of God, or are you standing in some philosophical idea of man? And Paul says if you're standing over here in the idea of man, you will be devastated. But if you know the scriptures and you're standing on the scriptures, devastation will never come to you because even though you're in the same situation as the unbelieving neighbor, you stand firm. In the midst of pain and grief, we know God has a plan. We know God loves us, and he'll never, ever forsake us. Isn't that amazing? How would you like to not know that? How would you like to face this world today and not know any of that? I say it all the time. I don't know how people of the world today live without the hope that's out there, because there's no hope in this world. Next, we have the truth that he has given us his spirit. And I'm going to focus on this one. I think this is one of the most incredible truths that God has given us in scriptures. It is. That in that he didn't leave us alone. That's the most incredible truth in scripture. He didn't leave us alone. Jesus said to his disciples, it's better if I go. Why? Because I'm going to do what? Send the spirit. I will give you the Spirit, the one who will guide you in all things. So when Christ leaves, he didn't say, you know what? Sorry, guys, you're on your own. I hope you make it. No, he said, it's better if I go because I can send the Spirit, not, and guess what else? Not to just live around me, but to live in me. God has not left you alone in this world. Broken, beaten, war-torn world. He has given you his very spirit. And I can stand, and you know what? That spirit is what strengthens us, and we can stand up straight in the face of anything this world can put out to you. Exactly right. Because he has given you his spirit. That's one of the most incredible truths in scripture. And guess what? And we know that. Your neighbor doesn't know that. Your neighbor has no hope. We do. Because we know that. And one other thing I want to talk about scriptures strengthening us is we have wisdom that God is sovereign. In the word, you know what the word sovereign means, right? Basically it means, I'll just give you a little, it just basically means there's nobody above him. No one above God. See, we have this understanding that he's sovereign. And, you know, there's nothing above God, and that includes things like death, nothing, disease, poverty. None of that is above him. None of those things stand in comparison to God's sovereignty. But knowing that he stands above them gives us some, some pretty powerful insight 
to strengthen our lives. Hmm. Here's what I like. When I come to the, I'm going to use my favorite word, awesome. When I come to the awesome realization that God is sovereign, guess what it does to your life? It induces something in your life. It makes, it makes something happen in your life. And what I mean by that is, when I am overwhelmed with the awesomeness of God, I hit my knees in prayer. That's what it brings out. When we're facing the most difficult trials in our life, and we realize, my God is sovereign, I'm on my knees. Sometimes I think we forget. But we, we forget that at times. But what Paul's saying is, you know this. It's in Scripture. It will strengthen you. My God is sovereign. Ooh, I'll tell you, when you focus on the sovereignty that he is sovereign over all things, do you think there's anything that can come into your life? Well, it might touch you. Is it going to move your faith? That's right. We have the comfort, finally on this one, I'm going to say this. We have the comfort that there is, how can I want to say it? There is more to life than this life. And that's a comfort that we know. Not, I think this is something we, people have lost sight of. I really do. You read the Bible and you read the New Testament and you see that they had this, this hope that, there was, that it was better than this life. I think you and I lose something in this today. I think... Think about when we talk about when we, when we, I'm going to use the word, when we say we've lost a loved one. Right? I think we always say we lost a loved one. I think that word is so inappropriate. I think it's so inappropriate. You didn't lose anybody. God doesn't lose anybody. He knows exactly where they are. And I understand the idea that, you know, we, we lose the fellowship. We lose that day-to-day -day interaction with somebody on a day-to-day -day basis. But the fact of the matter is, they are very much alive. We lose this sight. The reality of it is, this is not the end. And they, Paul and the apostles, lived with that expectation. Paul said it before. It's better for me to go. I want to be with Christ. Because they lived knowing this life is not the end. And when we lose a loved one with that term, we didn't lose them at all. They are alive. And we need to focus on that. You read it over and over in the New Testament. But that's not something that fits in our current way of thinking, is it? We can't fit that in our thinking. I would, we would never say, we would never say to somebody, when a Christian has passed away, we would never go up to them and go, you know what? Woo, better off than I am. We wouldn't say that. It doesn't fit in our way of thinking. But truthfully, the Bible says, guess what? It is. It's better off. He's with Jesus. And I got to stay here. We are all about this life. And what I want you, loved ones, is to take our focus off of this life. Because there is so much more than this life. But you know, when you, when you really get into the scriptures, and when we let the word of God really challenge us, 
we begin to understand that there is great comfort in the Word of God. That our lives are bound up in Him. And there's more than this life. David asked a question one time, I remember this. He, Who but God is a solid rock? You ever ask yourself that? Jude. Jude even wrote his own doxology. And we're going to, we are going to start Jude next week. You guys know who Jude is in a physical sense, right? Everybody know who he is? I mean, he was the guy that wrote the book of Jude. But uh, he was also the earthly brother of somebody. Everybody know who it was? Jesus. He was the earthly brother of Jesus, right? He was the son of Mary and Joseph. And in this very short letter that he wrote, he wrote his own doxology. I'm going to read it to you. It sounds kind of familiar. Now to him. Wow, it starts off the same way. Who is able to keep you. Sounds like what I just read. Who is able to keep you from stumbling and to, be present, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Him who is able. He opens it up the same way. And Paul gives us insight. All of the things that we have mentioned in the book of Romans fundamentally strengthened in standing in the word, knowing the scriptures. Don't settle for somebody telling you what's in the Bible. Know what's in the Bible. Don't settle for me coming up here and preaching to you verse by verse. I want you to know the scriptures because I want you to preach to me about it. I'm encouraged. I, I get filled and encouraged by you as well. It's about knowing the scriptures. Be strengthened in the scriptures. So I'm going to wrap it up on this. We are closing and finishing the book of Romans. It is done. Six months and three weeks. But again, I want to say this. Go to the scriptures. Know what they have to say. Not because it's your Christian obligation, but because it's exactly what will strengthen you to stand. I encourage you, please, allow your life to be strengthened by the knowledge of him who is able to make you stand. Amen. worship together.
Oh, well. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you're alive. 